God, we do thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the blessing that you give us each and every morning by renewing your mercy to us. We recognize that our hearts fail often to honor you as God and King. But we thank you that through Christ you've made provision for our unfaithfulness and that you are so faithful to your word and to us um, to keep us kept. And so we, we once again um, sit and revel in the glory of your mercy and grace in Christ. And so with that in mind, we want to look toward uh, our passages today and pray that you would bless us um, with the riches of the knowledge of Him and with hearts that prize Him above all other things. That today's lesson, I pray, would not just be about gaining head knowledge, but that it would have um, great impact on the love that we have for the preeminence of Christ over all things. And it's in His name that we pray. Amen. We are in Numbers, that great book that is so often wandered through. Um, We're in chapter 1. Last time we discussed the Israelites were still at the foot of the mountain at Sinai and that God had called for a census, a, a numbering of all the tribes Except for Levi, and we talked a little bit about that. Um, once he numbers them, he places them. This is the next step in getting them ready toward Canaan, moving toward Canaan. Um, the picture that we have in today's passages is a picture of a king organizing his people for battle and for, sla- uh, for slavery, for safety. <laughs> organizing them for battle and for safety. There it is. Going Romans. That's what we're doing today, right? Slavery and In doing so, he confirms some things about where redemptive history is headed. And it's, it's very interesting. Let's look at uh, verse 47 of chapter 1. But the Levites were not listed along with them by their ancestral tribe. For the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Only the tribe of Levi you shall not list. And you shall not take a census of them among the people of Israel, but appoint the Levites over the tabernacle of the testimony and over all its furnishings and over all that belongs to it. They are to carry the tabernacle and all its furnishings, and they shall take care of it and shall camp around the tabernacle. When the tabernacle is to set out, the Levites shall take it down, and when the tabernacle is to be pitched, the Levites shall set it up. And if any outsider comes near, he shall be put to death. The people of Israel shall pitch their tents by their companies, each man in his own camp, and each man by his own standard. But the Levites shall camp around the tabernacle of of the testimony, so that there may be no wrath of the congregation of the people of Israel. And the Levites shall keep guard over the tabernacle of the testimony. Thus did the people of Israel, they did according to all that the Lord commanded Moses. So Levi is not to be treated like the other tribes. Um, Here, it's expressed in both the census and we're going to see later in chapter 2, the encampment. Um, That word only in verse 49 is is an exclusionary word in the Hebrew. And it's not just for this time. We talked of, um, of David's moving of the ark. Do you remember the, whenever he moved it from Shiloh, he was going to move it to Jerusalem? How that happened. Um, 
Oh, I'm sorry, not moving the ark. The, the census that David did last time, where he called for a census, it was an improper motive. He, he was going to buy a yacht or something. It was an improper motive, and um, he was judged for that. He had his uh, head of the army, Joab, uh, do the census. Joab refused to count the Levites in that census. He held to this principle that we see in Numbers, uh, not to count the Levites as part of that. Um, what's the reason for the Levites' exemption from the census? What, what does it say? What's the reason? They're uh, over the tabernacle testimony. Yeah? Doing what, what with it? Protecting it, caring for it, setting it up. Putting it up, taking it down. Putting it up, taking it down, guarding it, protecting it, keeping it. Guarding and keeping. Um, they're set apart for this, right? This is the service that they have, that God has ordained for them to have. Uh, and we've seen this responsibility placed on the, on the Levites in Exodus. We went through Exodus and again in Leviticus. Why the Levites? Why not the Gadites or the Danites? What's, what's the big deal with the Levites? They're the priestly tribe. Okay, Why? Because God said so. Because God said so. Do we have any reason, background, why this might be so? Any, anything about the Levites that stands out in the history of Israel? Recently, I guess, as, as we're looking. Aaron and Moses. Aaron and Moses are Levites. That's true. Do you remember that little incident with the cash cow? Mm -hmm. Right? The, the golden calf. They're dancing around. They're having, hooping and hollering. This is the God that brought you out of Egypt, O Israel. Aaron's part of this. Moses on the mountain. When Moses comes down, he breaks the tablets, right? Um, let's turn there. Exodus 32. This is the grind up the gold and make people eat it, right? That was, yes, that happened eventually. But look at Exodus 32, starting verse 25. And when Moses saw that the people had broken loose, for Aaron had let them break loose to the derision of their enemies... Then Moses stood at the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Put your sword on your side, each of you, and go to and fro from gate to gate throughout the camp. And each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And that day about 3,000 men of the people fell. And Moses said, Today you have been ordained for the service of the Lord, each one at the cost of his son and of his brothers, so that he might bestow a blessing upon you this day. Levi has a history of being um, executors of orthodoxy. I don't remember this in Sunday school. Yeah. <laughs> like, no. You don't remember? I don't remember this part. I remember uh, uh, at all. not going <laughs> killing your brother. Yeah, yeah, we talked about this. People who were, who were worshiping the right. cash cow. Right, right. Yeah, so they have... It's like 3,000 out of 2 million. Right. It's a small... It, it was, it but was what it does demonstrate... What does that demonstrate, though, for Levi? What does that demonstrate? Zealous for the name of the Lord. That's right. Zealous for His honor. Zealous for uh, the right worship of God, zealous for 
the name of God to the derision of their enemies is what Aaron let them do. And they're about taking that back. But right. from here on out, are they actually part of the actual battles? Because they're not counted as the men who are soldiers. No, their warriorness is limited to protection of the tabernacle, protection of the temple, and service of the tabernacle and temple throughout the rest of the history of Israel. They're military guys, but as we're going to see with the encampment, they're there to guard and keep the tabernacle. They're to guard the honor of the Lord. They're to guard the, 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 the holy things and all of that that's involved in the tabernacle. Um, so there's 12 tribes of Levi is not counted. Right, right. Because jo Joseph was divided into two. No, that's not. No. <laughs> different, different worldview. Sorry. It's, <laughs> So Levi, Levi was, a, was a pretty vicious warrior anyway. Remember, maybe you remember this. In we did spend time on this in Genesis. When um, their, uh, their sister Dinah was captured at uh, Shechem, I think it was. You remember this? And, they and, they, and then the guy, the prince, rapes their sister. And he says, oh, I want to marry her. Comes to Jacob, I want to marry her. And Levi and, and Simeon say to him, oh, you've got to become like us. Remember this? Yep. You've got to be circumcised like us, then you can be part of us. And they go, okay. And they do it. And in three days, it says, and the men were very sore. You know, that classic biblical understatement. Um, <laughs> the men were very sore. And that's when Levi and Simeon go and attack the town and kill all the men, take their stuff, their women, and their kids as slaves. And Jacob says, what have you done? How... That's, that's a vicious thing you've done, and now you've made me a stench among all the Canaanites. I'm a little, I'm a small thing. All these bigger guys are going to be mad about what you did to these guys. I'm, I'm hosed. And what was their response? Should we have let this one make our sister a prostitute? Their, their over-the-top revenge, the wrath of that, was based upon the honor of their sister. It's that kind of display of who they are that God takes and reforms and re, uh, I don't know, redeems this kind of zeal that's in the basic tribe to make, um, to set up on his honor. Because the golden calf incident was an adulterous incident, right? Yeah. It says in 53, the Levites, however, to set up their tents around the tabernacle of the covenant law so that my wrath will not fall on the Israelite community. Right. So they were actually to protect against another golden calf-like incident there, happening so that they wouldn't right. have to. There, there are two issues, right? One is to protect the honor of God, and two is to protect the people from the wrath of God for their unfaithfulness. It's inevitably going to happen if somebody, some Yahoo wanders in. I want to look at the tabernacle, you know, that kind of thing. Somebody encroaches upon the tabernacle. In fact, the, the, the language that's used here um, is that they are to take care of or minister is another way that that word is translated. That has the idea of the, the service of a subordinate to a superior. The, the tabernacle, God is superior to the Levites and they're, they're the temple guard is basically what they are. And so their task includes everything to do with the tabernacle. They take it down, they carry it on the journey, they put it up, and they protect it at all costs. 
Um, and they do that against what he says if a stranger should come in or some unauthorized person should come in to the tabernacle. What happened before that, that, that we remember somebody came in unauthorized? David. Fire. Fire from where? This is recent, Nadab right? Nadab and Abihu. Nadab and Abihu. They strange got... Fire. Yeah, strange fire. There's a whole conference on it. The strange fire comes and consumes them. They get roasted for approaching God in an unauthorized manner. God is holy, and He protects His holiness, and we're to honor His holiness. And so the entire tribe of Levi is dedicated to protecting the holiness and sanctity of the tabernacle. Now, we've got to take pause and also talk about the word tabernacle. What does that mean? God dwelling with us. Dwelling place. It's the Emmanuel principle that we have here, right? God with us. God is with us. And so they're not only protecting just a place, they're protecting the, the idea of well, wh what's in the tabernacle? What does it say? The tabernacle of what? What's the language used? Of the covenant law. Uh, other translations may say the testimony, right? Talking about what? What's he talking about? Tabernacle of what? What's a covenant law? What's a testimony? The, the ten, commandments. ten commandments that are in where? The Ark of the Covenant, of the covenant which is the, in the holiest of holy places, right? The holy of holy places. So you've got, and what, what did we, remember when we went through the Ten Commandments, also in Sunday school, when, what did we talk about that meant, the Ten Commandments? What was that? Was that just a list of rules? Yes, but what does it? What was it? What does it show? It displays the character of God. It's God condescending to man to reveal who He is, and 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 we as image bearers are to reflect who He is. So they're guarding God with us, the tabernacle, and within that is God revealing Himself to man. There to be zealous over that, to guard and keep what God has revealed about Himself. Is that instructive to us? I think so. That, that's our focus, right? Who is Jesus? What has He done? We need to be very zealous about people who want to redefine that for cultural reasons. Um, now, in our day, we don't take up a sword, but we need to be able to defend it and uh, to preserve what He's given us instead of allowing it. Yeah, okay, well, yes, the sword of the Spirit. I guess we want to go down that way. That is true. That's the analogy that Paul uses. Um, all right, so, so uh, all right, the Levites are asked to guard this. They're told to, are tasked with guarding this, and, and they're to do it pretty zealously. Um, outsiders refers to unauthorized persons, also translated as a, as a stranger. Verse 52 um, uh, talks about the people in, uh, camping by standard, by tribe, and then by each person by the standard of the, of, or the banner of their, under their fathers. That anticipates what we're going to see in chapter 2 here in a minute. The standard, what is that? What's a, when you say a standard, by what standard is he talking about? Measuring rod. Okay, there's a measuring rod as a, as a standard. What are they talking about here, though? What verse are you? 52? By his own standard. How are they camping? As like a banner. As a banner. Family name on it. Right. So the banner, he's talking about a banner. Yes, standard is a, is a measuring rod. You're right. We're all men in here, so it's kind of a logical thing. But banner 
is a, a standard is a banner, right? So you got like these these um, flags or or banners or whatever that people encamp under. And the Jewish writers tell us that each banner was basically for for the tribes at least was the color of the corresponding stone for that tribe on the breastplate of the high priest. So they're all under the colors of... of the, now, I don't know if that's true, but that's what the Jewish tradition teaches. So um, not only are they under the colors or the banners of the tribes, but they're also under the various banners and standards of each father's house. So they're, encamp they're encamping with their extended family. So it's the family... The clan, the tribe, right? That would be interesting. Yes. <laughs> yes, it would be. For 40 years. For 40 years. That was normal for them, though. Yeah, it's true. Opal, stop. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, um, so, so what happens if somebody approaches the tabernacle in an unauthorized, unauthorized way? It's the, they're, they're, well, they're, they're killed by whom? The Levites. The Levites. So it protects both the tabernacle and and the nation. Remember, um, remember the story of Uzzah, Uzziah. No, Uzzah. Who was it? Uzzah. That's the one. Um, <laughs> the, the, that uh, they're bringing the, the, the ark from Shiloh to Jerusalem, uh, and they're dancing. They're having a great old time. But it's two Judahites who are bringing it on a cart. With an with a with an ox, you know, to Jerusalem. They're actually milk cows. I read it just this past. Week. Oh, it was milk cows. Okay, I'm I've misremembered that. Uh, so it's okay. Milk. We'll go with milk cows. Well, I'll give you the cow. Uh, so so they're doing this, and they and they stumble, and the ark starts to fall, and Uzzah, I guess, uh, reaches out his hand and is killed instantly. Drops to the ground, and and David's furious at this. God, why would you do this? This is not the way it's supposed to be done. You're going to obey how I tell you to handle holy things. Uh, R.C. Sproul makes the point in that story that what was the greater dishonor? That the ark hit the dirt, which is doing what it's created to do, or being touched by a man who is doing what he's not created to do? You know, the rebellious heart of a man. Which is the more defiling to the ark? That's a very interesting point. Um, so God is, is, is teaching them, telling them, my holy things will be handled the way I tell you to do it, and it's for your protection and for the honor of the tabernacle. Um, all right, so the, and the Levites are set apart. Ultimately, when the ark was brought to Jerusalem, it was done properly by the Levites. who I mean, And David calls to them, hey, you're supposed to be holding this. Because you didn't do this, this guy's dead. Right, he blames the Levites for this, but that's what the deal is. They're, they're, they are um, to be set apart for that reason. So the final verse there, in, in at the end of chapter one, shows us that Israel was obedient to the will of God with regard to the Levites without hesitation. Again, we see this in Numbers. God speaks. Are they obedient or are they not? It's the obedience or disobedience that is again brought out in Numbers. And here we are in the very first chapter, seeing that. All right, chapter two. Let's look at verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, The people of Israel shall camp each by his own standard with the banners of their father's houses. They shall camp facing the tent of meeting on every side. Those to camp on the east side 
toward the sunrise shall be the standard of the camp of Judah by their companies, the chief of the people of Judah being Nashon, the son of Amminadab, his company as listed being 74,600. Those to camp next to him shall be the tribe of Issachar, the chief of the people of Issachar being Netanel, the son of Zuar, his company as listed being 54,400. Then the tribe of Zebulun, the chief of the people of Zebulun being Eliab, the son of Helen, his company as listed being 57,400. All those listed in the camp of Judah by their companies were 186,400. They shall set out on the first, they shall set out first on the march. So God then gives the commands for the organization of Israel when they're encamped and the order in which uh, they are to advance when on the march. Um, what's in the center? The tabernacle is in the center. The very, yes, eventually. We'll get there. Uh, the tabernacle is in the center. And around the tabernacle are four sets of triads at each cardinal point of the, of the, of the compass, so to speak. Right? And he first goes east. Why? The first triad he names is to be on the east side of the tabernacle. Why? Aren't they moving east? If Egypt's here... Canaan's here, they've got to go east to get to Canaan. So the guys on the east are leading the march. They're also, when they camp, guarding the way to going to Canaan. These are, this is a prominent position, the east. Um, the tabernacle is the center flanked on all sides by the Levites, who are in turn surrounded on each side by three tribes at each point of the compass. Um, Incidentally, the, the, the camping arrangement is a little different than the marching arrangement, and the camping arrangement is kind of a rectangle. I put the diagram there for you. Hopefully that's helpful. The, 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 the camping arrangement is a rectangular formation, and when we get to the marching formation, you'll see that it's more of a, in a column. So uh, we'll, we'll see how that works. Um, all right, so you see uh, that they're to be organized by standard or banner, and it's not merely at the tribal level, it's at the, at the, at the clan level and also at the, at the family level um, with extended family within the tribe. So all the camps, all the tribes are to camp around the tabernacle but facing the tent of meeting. That language there means at a distance. Why is that? Why are they to be at a distance from the tabernacle? Got the Levites buffering on all sides. But they haven't gone through the purification for the same reason that uh, at Mount Sinai they weren't allowed to go past a certain point. Yeah, they're, they haven't, and it's the same point. They're, they haven't gone through the purification uh, rituals. You can approach the tabernacle to do sacrifices, and we saw the rituals for that in Leviticus, but you've got to be pure to do it. You've got to be authorized to do it through the purity rituals. Um, the whole camp at one time is not going to do that, right? The Levites are constantly doing it. That's just where they live. But the, the whole camp is not going to do it. But, so they, he has them set apart away from the tabernacle, but still ringing it, still guarding it. They're to, to, some translations say facing the tabernacle. Some say at a distance. No unauthorized person is to, um, is to, uh, is to approach. Strangers are facing the tabernacle. But I guess God protects them as his people. Well, the whole orientation of the thing is 
one, toward the tabernacle, and two, toward Canaan, right? The whole way that they're set up is a focal point on who God is, what He's done, and where He's taking them. They start in the east, that's where they're going, moving toward the promised land. And I think that's instructive to us. I mean, how are we to orient our lives? Starting with who Jesus is, what He's done, and where we're headed. What are we to be looking like? We're to be looking like Him. How do I order my life to look more like Him as I study who He is and what He's done? That's how, the, that's how we should organize ourselves by our families, by our clans, and by our tribes, right? And if our clans are each individual church <laughs> and the tribe is... Uh, anyway, whatever. All right. So the first triad is on the east. Who leads? Who's on the east? Judah, Judah with who? Issachar and Sebulun. They're to be first on the march, too, is what it says. So the first triad is looking toward Canaan. Judah appears to be in the central position of the triad. The entire camp structure actually has Judah in pride of place. It's the center tribe leading east, go, leading the march forward, and is the first buffer for protection at night in the encampment. Um, Judah is made prominent, really, from, from this point forward. I mean, you, you see that. And, and it's, this has been a hint throughout the rest of the, of the Pentateuch, Genesis and Exodus. You see this. Um, in fact, in Judges, Judges 1 starts with, After the death of Joshua, the people of Israel inquired of the Lord, Who shall go up first for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? And the Lord said, Judah shall go up. Behold, I have given the land into his hand. So Judah is the tribe that is uh, dominant militarily and in leadership. Why not Reuben? He's the firstborn. See, that's, that's what I've been wondering. The Reuben's firstborn, and then Benjamin's like the promised one, and then uh, Simeon and the Levites were like the real aggressive ones. But then Judah it seems like is like the balanced one who's like a leader. And Where are we getting this? Where are we getting this? Reuben did something, I think. He did, didn't he? Oh, yeah. He did a bad, bad thing. Judah is placed in the position of primacy, um, and later we see in the Old Testament that Judah has replaced Reuben as first. The third shall become first. <laughs> He's fourth, actually, but whatever. It'll work. We'll go with it. He's on a roll. Um, it says in 1 Chronicles 5, 1 and 2, it says, The sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, for he was the firstborn, but because he defiled his father's couch, his birthright was given to the sons of Joseph, the son of Israel, so that he could not be, not be enrolled as the oldest son. Though Judah became strong among his brothers and a chief came from him, yet the birthright belonged to Joseph. So you have this birthright issue with Ephraim and Manasseh, but Judah has this pride of place and leadership. So the inheritance, the money, goes to Joseph, but the, the leadership seems to go to, to Judah. Um, the description that we have of the camp moves from east to south and follows the same formula as the first. So on the south side, you've got another triad. And here you have Reuben, Simeon, and Gad. And that's done for a very specific reason. You've got this clear showing that Reuben is, is decreasing, Simeon is decreasing, Gad is decreasing. And in, in fact, they do 
ultimately start decreasing in numbers later on in the history of Israel. You see them kind of fade out. Um, but it also shows the ascendancy of Judah over Israel. Um, Jacob has cursed Reuben and Simeon for shameful activities. Reuben in particular, he says in Genesis 49.4, you shall not have preeminence. I mean, Jacob says this from, you know, 400, 500 years earlier. The expulsion from leadership is a partial fulfillment of this curse of Jacob. All right, so you again have the, the position of the tabernacle recognized in, in chapter 2. Um, then the instructions on who's to go uh, next, the next triad on the west side of the camp. And here we have, we have Reuben, uh, Simeon, and Gad on the south. And then you have on the west side, the, 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 kinda, the, the, the back side here, um, Ephraim, Manasseh, and Benjamin. And these are the descendants of the sons of Rachel. You see this kind of prominence going on based on whose sons they are as well. Um, and these tribes are really linked together. Anytime you see in the Old Testament, uh, Manasseh and Ephraim, you're going to see Benjamin in there somewhere. They're, they're really tightly linked uh, because they were the, the only sons of Rachel whom Jacob uh, loved. Um, Alright, lastly on the north side you see the final triad of Dan, Asher, and Naphtali. And again, all of these, I'm not going to read through it all, but they follow the same formula that you saw with the east uh, with, uh, with, with Judah, Issachar, and, um, and Asher. So these are the, uh, not Asher, I messed up. Who was that? Zebulun. Zebulun, thank you. Um, these are the, Dan, Asher, and Naphtali are the, are the descendants of Jacob's concubines. So again, you've got that idea, the lower, lower place because of whose sons they are. And, and this section in chapter 2 concludes with God's command. This is how you're to set up for encampment. And it concludes with Israel's obedience to those commands. We see that uh, again. God instructed them to do it, and they did it without hesitation or reservation. So far, so good, right? That's the impressive that they didn't try to rise up and Ephraim say, well, I don't want to be first. Well, you know, that's true. That's a good point. I mean, and Reuben especially could have. But um, we see that that, that that didn't happen. And, and a lot of it stems, I think, from the understanding in the tribes of the, the blessings of, of Jacob uh, to his sons. Um, I, I love this idea, though, this germination of a seed of a thing and how it plays out later in Scripture. I, I love follow, tra trailing that, tracing that. And this is one of my favorites is the rise and the ascendancy of Judah over the other tribes. I think it's just the coolest thing. Uh, you see it in, uh, in, in Jacob's blessing to Judah in, um, in, in, in Genesis 49. It starts in verse 8. He says, Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down, he crouched as a lion and as, and as a lioness, who dares rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. And you can go on uh, in that. But you see Jacob's clear recognition or promise or blessing on Judah, the scepter will not depart. What does that imply? A kingly line, leadership among the tribes of Israel. 
And here in Numbers 2, we see a partial fulfillment of those promises. We're going to see, uh, again, we, we see in, in, in Judges that Judah is named by God to lead out against the conquest, against the Canaanites after Joshua dies. Um, the greatest kings in Israel's history, David and Solomon, come from the line of Judah. Uh, the great capital of Jerusalem is in the territory that's allocated to Judah. So really, pride of place goes to Judah. Um, all of these elements are a fulfillment of Jacob's promises to Judah. And you see it working out here in just a simple camp placement. What God is, is hinting at, signaling the prominence and the rise of this tribe over the others. Uh, in, in verse 9 of, of uh, Genesis 49, Jacob describes Judah like a lion, right? Uh, and this is a messianic reference. And later on, that becomes a very... Uh, a messianic theme in Jewish literature and art. Um, once one of the smart guys notes, under the influence of this verse, the Lion of Judah became a favorite motif in Jewish art and acquired messianic expectations. And we certainly see that in the New Testament writers, right? You see that often um, in uh, in Revelation five five. And one of the elders said to me, "Weep no more. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David." has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. So Jacob's blessing that we see partial fulfillment of here with relationship to Judah is not just about Judah. It's a foreshadowing of the ascendancy of the kingship and rule of the Messiah, Jesus himself. Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of the ascendancy of the tribe of Judah. Now here's the interesting thing. If he's king, he's our king, right? If he holds the scepter, it's the scepter that rules over us and over all of creation. And so we are organized, <laughs> we are commissioned to march and to, um, to conquer, not flesh and blood, but in capturing of ideas, of thoughts into the obedience of Christ in ourselves and for tearing down those kinds of false ideas in the world around us. Um, he is conquering a land. And we're to organize ourselves around who He is. Upon this rock I will build my church. Who are you? Uh, you're, you're Christ, Son of the living God. The, the, you know, that idea of who He is, that's what He builds a church on. It's what everything's centered around. And the goal is looking forward to the final day when He comes. What, what are we to do? We're to build ourselves. We're to be... To be um, uh, what does it say? Uh, buffeting our bodies daily, as Paul says, to, to, make, uh, to, to move toward the promise that when he returns, we'll be like him, for we'll see him as he is. That's the hope. It's really hot in here. So I'm going to go ahead and pray and release us to the more air-conditioned parts of the church. Uh, any, any questions or any comments on that before we pray? If the lion is Judah, what is the lamb? Jesus. Uh, I mean, is there a tribe that represents the lamb? Uh, no, but there's a tribe that kills lambs. Mm -hmm. And you see in the line of Jesus that he that that there are both both uh, Judah and and Levi is in the line is part of his ancestry. And the lamb. And, well, and the and the lamb, yeah. So, um, so yeah, 
Uh, both of those are pulled in, priest and king. Of course, prophet is not a tribal distinction. But yeah, good. Anything else? All right, let me pray. Get us out of the heat. Lord, we do thank you for the amazing history that you have given your people um, that we see even in this early stage the beginnings of your promise of the seed of the woman crushing the head of the snake and how you are um, again painting the picture and showing us the the rule and supremacy of Jesus in all things we pray that you would um, that you would warm our hearts to this, that we would want to be obedient to the commands of the King, to display that we love Him, not just from a, a logic and knowledge standpoint, but from the heart. We pray that your Spirit would um, use uh, what we learn here and also the preached Word that we will hear in a few minutes to drive us to the foot of the cross again in awe and gratefulness and, and thankfulness, displaying that um, in the mercy that we show to others and the love and service that we give to others in the name of Christ under His banner. And it's in His name that we pray. Amen. So the milk cows were actually when the Philistines stole the ark and then they were told to send it back. They had to send milk cows that had to get yoked for a burnt offering for what they did. Okay. So, so milk cows are more for the, the, uh, those little scarab things not for the ark that was ox that was oxen